Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along. Check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Rahalastaba this week with American comedian Brian Regan. Really funny guy, and this is an interesting podcast with him. Check out all of his specials uh, on Netflix and a sketch show he's got there as well. Lots of really funny stuff. Uh, I'm feeling a lot better, uh, ever getting better, and uh, ready to return to all my usual shenanigans ASAP. Uh, if you want to help support us, you know there's all the usual ways. You could go to com and buy my book, The Problem With Men. Uh, you get a signed book plate with a cock drawn on it, a bit like this. This is one that I've not, that, well, I wasn't good enough. It'd be better than that. You can also buy uh, emergency questions um, there as well. Uh, fantastic way to start conversations. You can get those at all your favourite bookshops and outlets that are available on ebooks. And uh, The Problem with Men is also an excellent audiobook wherever you get your audiobooks that I basically see as my 2020 stand up show. So I hope you will enjoy that. As it is, let's just sit back, relax and enjoy another Raha Lustapa with me, Richard Herring, as the host and my guest, Brian Regan. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome man. He's had the vaccine and is licking everything. It's Richard Herring. Hello. I've had the vaccine. Welcome to Richard Herring's lopsided scrotum. Totally podcast. Uh, I was hanging out with old Jeremy Paxman the other week. pack a lack a dack dack pack Pac-Man, they call him. The Pac-Man. He calls it realist, but I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, it's um, uh, more news on my uh, medical dramas. Um, I've had my vaccine. Yeah, bad luck people who didn't have cancer. 
You have to wait. Yes. Having testicular cancer is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Jumped at the front of the queue. Saw me straight away. Uh, I am uh, I'm fine. It's all out. They've had a look at what came out and it's all in there. Uh, but uh, I am going to be uh, I'm a cancer survivor, which is true of anyone who's had cancer and is still alive. Uh, I don't I feel a bit of a fraud because I've not been ill. And uh, this is this is a this is a not a real cancer, testicular cancer. They they can just cure it. That's not cancer, is it? You're not you're not you shouldn't be able to cure cancer. Anyway, I'm going to be having a some precautionary chemotherapy over the next uh, two or three weeks. Just one. And again, it's playtime. It's like being on the holodeck of the Starship Enterprise and going, I want to play it having cancer. You don't even lose your hair or anything. It's just one go and you might be a bit lethargic. So um, it's all going pretty well. And uh, I've, I've, I've have had a long-term ambition and fantasy fulfilled this week in that uh, the Daily Mail newspaper uh, has written about my bollocks. Um, there it is. Yeah, that's the uh, the uh, how lucky was I to get the one that's basically curable. Comedian Rich Charing, fifty three. It's important, you know, my age. Real as blah blah blah. Um, uh, it's a horrible paper, the Daily Mail. But uh, and all they've done is found my blog and basically copied out. So I, even though it says it's by Clara Farmer, uh, I, I basically uh, wrote this. Um, it would have been front page news, but for Meghan Markle, that's another thing that she's to blame for. I could have been on the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, it's a nasty paper. I, I praise the NHS uh, in my blog, and uh, the Mail says Herring gushed about how great the NHS was. Yeah, those bastards. How could I gush gush about them saving my life? And uh, fucking, but and uh, they left in the joke about the Ferrer Rocher. I compared my testicle to a Ferrer Rocher, and that the Cancer was in the middle like a nut. Uh, and then I said I wasn't going to build a pyramid like I promised my wife, which was a joke for people who read my blog. You know, that's a long-term ambition of mine. I think the Daily Mail readers would have been confused. I think they'd have been confused about who I was. But thank you for choosing pictures that make me look hideously unwell <laughs> and unhealthy. It's nothing to do with being unhealthy, I've discovered. it's been it's It's been in there all the time, waiting to come out, possibly since I was in the womb. It's just been... Waiting, ready to grab me. Uh, but anyway, I'm good. I'm fine. And um, it's all looking fine. So we're going to crack on with the podcast. Uh, I'm enjoying telling a lot of strangers in America about my testicles is the first thing that I ever say to them. <laughs> Uh, and uh, this is no different today. Uh, my guest this week is probably best known as Weeb Lunk from the Looney Tunes <laughs> show. That's why we're all watching today, and that's all we're <laughs> going to talk about. Will you please welcome Brian Reagan, hey, ladies and gentlemen? I'm How doing, doing great. How are you? Good. Yeah, I mean, apart from having one less testicle than I'm meant to have, Brian, I'm good. I just, I just had a you testicle know. added. I yes, I, we, I, it's a voluntary procedure. I I started with yeah. two. Now I have three. Well, that's good. So on average, we're, we're well, still, we, we're we hang out together. We average two testicles each. That's very good. Um, but no, I am good. good I'm really good. good. I'm feeling well and I'm very and I'm sort of happy because, you know, having a scary thing like this happen to you makes you sort of appreciate what's of good course. in life. Right. It's the it's and suddenly I was walking to the uh, the doctors to pick up some. I needed some cream for my I've got I got I've been wearing a jock strap, which I've never worn before. And it had got chafed and 
a fungal infection. And as I was walking to the doctors to pick that up, the first time I've been out of the house for two weeks, I've honestly felt like I was on drugs just walking down the road and being alive. So, you know, it's amazing where you can have epiphanies, well, isn't it? As good you for you, man. I'm sure that's a big, big thing Thank to you. Uh, be able to get past the difficult situation. So I'm happy for you. We hope so. Good. Thank you very much. Do you remember much about being <laughs> weed in the Looney Tunes show? I mean, I could have accidentally picked up something that's that was huge in your career. Um, it, it's the, uh, oh man, the Looney Tunes cartoon. I had an opportunity to play a one-off character in one episode, Weeb Lunk. I wouldn't even have known the my name, my character's name, unless you had said it. And uh, I did it a long time ago. And I, 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 haven't, I have not had a single person come up to me who has recognized my voice on that on that episode but i keep getting checks for re-airings of it the checks get the checks were never big big to begin with and and now yeah. they're down at the four cent level you know and, yeah I, i've had four pence checks i've had four pence checks for work in the 1990s and my agent who's meant to take 20 percent has still taken one <laughs> pence of the four pence which is 25 percent and I'm quite cross about the, the I mean the the admin in taking the one p is it costs more than one p right that it must the time taken for them to take their one pence off yes from well, four I actually, pence I took a photo cents. one time of one of these uh residual checks I got, and the stamp I put the check next to the stamp the stamp is like fifty five cents, and then the check is for like six cents. <laughs> And it's like there's something completely <laughs> wrong about this whole formula of spending more money to send out money. It's just crazy. Yeah, it is. But, well, you know, some occasionally one of those checks is, is worth having, but uh, not, not so much uh, for my career where hardly anything's ever been repeated. Um, hey, look, it's really great to meet you, and thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I'm sure this is mutual, but I – didn't have a very much idea of who you were before. That's fine. Um, and I'm sure that's true, the case for me as well. But I've caught up on all your stuff, and I have seen little bits of you before. Uh, and it's I had so much fun. I watched your latest special, uh, which is called On the yes. Rocks, I believe, um, uh, two days after my surgery, which was a, a mistake because you were too funny. <laughs> And every time I laughed, it really hurt. But I carried on watching. So it was just that if you've had surgery, don't watch this show because it's you get to the it's it's one of those sort of rolling shows. And it's very rare in comedy. I find this and especially as a comedian watching other comedians where I think for the last 15 minutes, I was just laughing. I got on one of those roles where you're just laughing at everything, especially when you're not in the in the actual audience, when you're watching something on TV, it's very hard to get into that. But just everything got me. And and, and it was just, I was in this sort of cycle of pain and laughter. It's Thank a brilliant show. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that you've been doing stand-up for 40 years, right? Which seems kind right, of impossible. Right. I, I, I hate saying what eight, what year it was when I started. You know, people go... Where, where where are you from? Did you come on a time machine or something? I started in 1980, yeah. 81, and, uh, you know, been at it a while. And, you know, uh, I'm fortunate to be able to do this for, for, for a job. And I'm honored that you liked the special. Thank you. 
Oh, it's very, it's very good. I'd highly recommend it. We'll talk about it a, a more later, but it's, um, I don't know. I think it's that you've, you've sort of, uh, concentrated on stand up throughout your career, which isn't what all stand ups do. I know you have done some acting and you've done the, obviously the Looney Tunes, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, <laughs> and you've done some TV, you've done some bits, pieces of TV, but you've been there through, and it, I kind of find that interesting. It's, I started 10 years after you, so I've been going since about 1989. And I feel like my, <laughs> that's a long time. And I think, uh, although I think the extremes are, are greater for you in that you're now playing to sort of thousands of people when you when you perform in America. Um, but it's kind of satisfying, right, to build up a career over that length of time and learn and and I'm guessing building an audience from yeah. those, those early days that, that you've done just through doing I'm, the work. I'm right? very fortunate. I have friends who have gotten sitcoms and they've blown up, you know, and, and become big names and that sort of thing. And uh, I'm happy for all of them. I truly am. And I've developed this little niche or niche. I should probably learn what the word is before I try to use it. Uh, where if anybody knows me, they know me from stand-up comedy because it would be impossible to know me from anything else unless they've seen the Looney Tunes episode <laughs> and so it's very gratifying to go to a venue to perform and I have a, you know, people coming into the audience and sitting in the seats. I love the murmur of the crowd before the show starts and to know, well, they're, they have to be here because they like my stand up because they wouldn't know me for any other reason. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> But I also heard you saying that uh, on another podcast that you can do a show to 5,000 people and then go pick up a burger half a mile away and nobody's yes. in the burger place going, hey, Brian. So no, it, like you've got this massive fan base and yet you still have relative sort of anonymity compared to maybe some some of those people who would. If, someone, if Seinfeld walked into Burger King then he wouldn't be able to Correct. order a burger, but you can, you can walk into a, into a, into a restaurant and, and get treated like a regular guy is, is how it sounds. It's, is that yes, still the case? it's fascinating to me. It, it, it really is this weird level where I'm at. Like I have enough of a following where I can play, you know, venues around the country and a little bit internationally. And, uh, you know, I can bring out a pretty sizable audience yet, the story is true. The sh one time I literally finished my show, went about a half mile down the road to a burger place and I'm standing in line and I'm like, there were 2000 people in that theater right down the road. And here nobody knows who I am. And, uh, and I like it. I, 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 I really do. I like, yeah. I have the best of both worlds. You know, it's like, um, I've got no complaints. Well, at one of the shows, it may have been your um, your stand the stand up and sketch show you did for Netflix. You, you started by saying, "I do not want to be famous." That was that sort of the opening <laughs> right. opening line, which you know uh, is I mean, but that, it's possible. It's sort of interesting fame because if you you sort of have to to become famous, you really have to try to become famous. Generally, really, and it's interesting that you can be successful without being famous, but also that that isn't your driving force you seems to be your driving force seems to be Correct. the comedy and and you seem to be someone who uh, thinks deeply about it and um 
and, and about the process of, of comedy. Um, I mean, I think observational comedy, it's not something I'm good at doing in my stand-up, uh, and it's not really what I do, but I, it feels to me one of the hardest co- comedy areas to write in. And, you've, and I've seen a quote of you saying it's like going down a mine and thinking, we've got all this <laughs> stuff out already, we've got everything. We've got everything out. But you manage it. But it's sort of interesting, the process of finding something new in a subject that people have done before or not in a subject. How easy do you find that? How long does it take you to to be coming up? Because the observations are are great. And and and, you know, and and I suppose the, the skill of observation comedy for me is to even if you're doing something that's been talked about a lot, is finding a new angle. And I think another thing you're great at is just choosing the right words and the right language i started writing things down there's just a bit where i can't even remember which routine it is where you said where you just meant you just go it's a tip of the hat and it's just the perfect <laughs> it's just the perfect thing to say and it's you know it's 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 very well judged but how easy do you find that to is that just something that's that you get one of those a, a month or are you are you are you are you overwhelmed with observations <laughs> as you go about your daily that's life? part of what is fascinating to me about stand-up comedy is that I don't know how it works. I, I, I don't know where ideas come from. Um, I just feel like occasionally you see something that maybe you've looked at many times in your life or you have an experience that you've had many times in your life. But every once in a while, your brain will see it in a in an unusual way where you'll go, hey, wait a second. Um, there's something funny there. And then I'll write that down or I'll take my, take out my iPhone and put it in the little iPhone app. And then once you have the idea, then you can put scaffolding around it and come up with words and come up with a beginning, middle and an end and a version that you can try on stage. But the original uh, thought, it's fascinating to me. I, I've always wondered like yeah. music, d- d- does music exist in the world and then it, it's up to somebody to find that song or does the individual brain come up with the song? I feel the same way about comedy. Are the jokes out there and it's just up to somebody to have the right antenna to pick it up? Or does the brain create the joke? And uh, it's it's fun not knowing the answer to that. Yeah, I mean, it does feel, that's how I feel. I come up with about one one-liner a year. I don't do many one-liners, <laughs> said. and and it feel, but you know, even when when you're really in that zone, and I I improvise a lot on stage when I'm coming up with a new show, and then it becomes a sort of script, but I'll still mess around with it. But when you're in that white hot zone, it feels like it's being projected right. in from somewhere. You know, you're surprised yeah, yeah, by yeah. yourself, right? So it is, it is, it is. I find it fascinating, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I think there's a lot of bad observational comedians, and it's possible to make a living as a bad observational comedian because you know, if, if people haven't seen that much comedy, they'll they'll go, "Oh, this is good," but you know, you'll have seen it before. But I think um, you know, with your stuff, it's I really like the the bit that really got me, and then I was really sort of on a roll uh, at this point was the bit about. Um, uh, people being executed at seven o'clock in the morning and how unfair that was just sort of when you start thinking about I'd never thought about that but the idea of that the guy being having to either go to sleep or not go to sleep yeah. when you start thinking about that it's, it's, a, it's a very cruel yeah. time of the day the guy supposed to go to sleep the night before and, and go yeah it's just such a good idea yeah got a short day tomorrow <laughs> 
<laughs> but imagine if you fall, you try and stay away. It's just like the idea of just fall that fall. <laughs> it's very good. It's very nice. Um, so you you but you you did obviously start very young because there's no way you could be uh, been going for forty years, forty one years, uh, and uh, not start young. So you basically started at, at college, and uh, you said to Seinfeld in the um, comedians in cars that you you got into it because you didn't like you didn't want to get up in the in the morning and you realized comedians didn't yeah. have to didn't have to get up is that is that a, is that a joke or is that a well it's part of it i mean that wasn't the only reason yeah. that i did stand-up comedy but it was a factor <laughs> when i was in college my nickname in college was rip for rip van winkle because i was always asleep people would see me running across campus to get to dinner before the cafeteria closed for dinner. And that's not an exaggeration. Like I would sleep all day. I had no money and I'm like, oh, I got to eat. And I would, I, I would run to get there before 6 PM or whenever it closed. So my nickname was Rip for Rip Van Winkle. And I remember I had a class, a psychology class that started at seven o'clock in the morning. And at that time of the year, I only went to it once. I woke up, it was dark. And I remember walking through campus. I'm like, it's dark. Like, the sun's not even up. And he walked to this building, and there, uh, there's a teacher in there, and there's other students. And I was like, I can't possibly do this every day of my life. I just, I can't. <laughs> so I, I started thinking, I need to do something where I can do the kind of sleeping that I love. And then a comedian performed at my college and the show started at 8 p.m. and I remember thinking hey I think I might be able to get up by this time I think I could do this <laughs> <laughs> I think but see in the 80s in the UK the comedy scene was uh, very different than it is now and was and there was a lot of people who just liked spending all day you know all night getting drunk or getting off their tits on drugs and then doing their 15 minutes it doesn't feel like that's how you've worked as a comedian it feels to me from reading what i've read that you were even very early on you were pretty committed to the hard work and getting into it so you did you still saw it as a it wasn't like a dos which i think in the 80s in the uk i think a lot of comedians just thinking this is i work for 15 minutes and i can go and do anything i like all day it feels like you were working hard i read something about you taking the post headline slot at the comedy night every at the local club every night so that you could just get stage time even though people were walking yes. out as you were yes. performing and that's sort of how you learned my uh the club where i started the comedy club where i started uh open mic night was only on mondays but when you passed then you could go on every night seven nights a week and so when i i, I auditioned five times i finally passed the guy, Joe Mullen, who ran the place, I just saw him like three weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in many, many years. He's the guy who gave me my start in comedy. I have such a fond feeling for this man who he was the first guy who said I was a comedian. Anyway, when he passed me and he said, all right, now you can go on um, on nights other than Monday. And I said, I don't want to abuse the privilege can I go on seven nights a week? And he said, I've never had anybody ask me that question. He goes, if you want to go on seven nights a week, you're more than welcome to. But it was, 
when you started at the club where I started, they did it unlike any other club since um, they had three co-headliners. They all did 45 minutes, which in itself is like, can you imagine having to follow two other headliners who just did 45 minutes? And then they had the local comedians. I was one of them go on after them. And the Joe Mullen, the guy who I was just mentioning, wanted the MC to go up and draw a clear line in the sand. He wanted the MC to say after the three headliners to the audience, well, that's it for our show. Meaning the good stuff is over. That's it for our show. (laughs) We do have some local comedians who are just getting started. They're going to come up into a few minutes each. If you want to hang around and give them an audience, you're more than welcome. But if you need to go, we thank you very much for coming. So 75, 75% of the people would get up and leave. But then you'd have some people that would go, all right, let's hang around and watch these guys. And that was the atmosphere that I dealt with for about a year. I went on every night and I developed this whole routine about people walking out during my show. It was a very self-deprecating kind of thing. Sure. But I think, you know, again, I've experienced not exactly that. I mean, that sounds so bizarre to to not put in the, you know, in the, in the UK clubs, and I'm sure most of the American clubs, they'll stick uh, the open spot on somewhere in the middle. To, so that there's a chance to, if, they, if they fail, there's a chance to rescue them. Um, but, uh, you know, having having played to those sort of small audiences and audiences that don't know you and aren't interested in you, and then to go over several decades to get to the point where you're, I mean, I've I've seen you talk about this, and I, and I've don't, I haven't played uh, over a thousand people many times, but you but you talk about sort of almost like being a conductor, you know, you, the, the audience are your instrument. But once you've played, the, you can play a small crowd. Is it for me? I find that the the big crowds are sort of they're different, but it's sort of much easier. Sure, <laughs> because you're getting you're getting the last, but it is you enjoy you enjoy that process of uh, you know that. I mean, it's that being the conductor and being the conductor of laughter and and knowing how the audience are going to respond as a as an organism, really, rather than as individuals. I suppose when you get to Correct. that size, of well, audience. even a small audience, uh, yeah. I've, I've always felt that what I what I'm trying to do on stage is make that audience one thing. I want them to become one thing, even though they might not realize that they're just part of this thing. They think they're individuals. But from my perspective, I'm trying to make them one unit, and then I'm just trying to get that unit, that thing, to laugh. And so, like, I analogize it to playing an instrument. Like, the audience is this big instrument, and I'm trying to get as much noise out of it as I can. The music, to me, is the laughs, right? So, um, of course, there are individuals in there, you know, but... I try not to think about that. I try to think of, I'm just trying to play this, whatever. It could be 50 people. It could be 2,000 people. Whatever it is, I'm just trying to get this thing laughing. And it's, uh, I, I love the quest of it. And I'm also interested that the people in the audience don't realize how much they are influenced by the people around them. Everybody thinks they're deciding for themselves whether you're funny or not. But they have no idea how much the psychological influence is having a, a room full of people around you laughing. If people are around you are laughing, 
you're going to be more inclined to laugh. If people around you are not laughing, you're going to be much more inclined to go, hmm, maybe this guy's not that funny. Um, so you got to make them one and make that one thing laugh. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's so, it shouldn't be remarkable as a comedian, but it sort of is what makes it remarkable is that the shows, that it, everything is sort of trying to make you laugh. And I suppose the modern, and I, you know, and I do this a little bit in my shows as well. Sometimes the modern kind of special shows are often have a little bit more of a, a serious tone to them, or there'll be a bit that gets serious, or they'll be trying to make some intelligent <laughs> point uh, overarching the whole thing. Whereas, and I'm, your your comedy is very clever, and I'm really not saying anything <laughs> about that. But your goal is to have the audience laughing all the way through to get to that state that I got into in in bed of just not being able to stop laughing, and that's that's sort of weird that that's a rarity, isn't it? Well, is that... <laughs> you know, no. I... I think everybody should do whatever they want as a performer. And if somebody wants to be more of a humorist and have a lot of serious messages within what they're saying, that's fine. You know, I, I, I think everybody and anybody should do whatever they want. My, I, I, I like the laughs per second philosophy, you know, um, I remember listening. There's a comedian. I'm not going to say his name, but he tells story. Oh, I got to turn this off. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, boy, hang on. Sorry. I don't know how to stop my phone. It's okay. Uh, I did everything but turn off the phone. All right. Sorry about that. Um, so it's okay. The uh, he, he tells these long stories. He's like a Southern comedian, Southern drawl and that sort of thing. And there's a big punchline like at the five minute mark. But leading up to it, it's all set up, you know, and it's like there's this truck driving down a road and a smoke billowing behind a truck and, and go on and on and on and on and on. And then he tells the punchline five minutes later and it's a huge laugh. And I remember being fascinated by, well, that's a way to do it. That's a way to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I like there to be some la laughs along the way. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm the same. I, I do like all kinds of comedy. And I like the, you know, I don't think I could do what you do. Uh, but I still like what you do. It wouldn't be what it wouldn't be where I'd go just because I couldn't do it. I don't think. But as an audience member, I think it, there's something very. I guess because I was just you know in a weird position when I was uh, watching it as well. But it's sort of very therapeutic just to you know get get yourself into a ten to fifteen minute, even thirty minute period where you're just doing nothing but laughing. <laughs> It's it's they say it's the best medicine, and they they may be they may be right about that. Um, we did. I did mention the Jerry Seinfeld uh, thing, and obviously uh, Jerry's been a big supporter of yours. And you've been on. I, I've I've obviously seen you before because I've watched all of comedians in cars getting coffee a couple of times, and um, I find it quite a fascinating show. You've been on it twice, um, and it's quite interesting to see because Jerry's obviously sort of the king of that sort of style of. Well, almost the king of comedy of his generation, and so even quite big name people on there can get quite quite intimidated sure. by him, or just asking him for advice on how to do comedy. And it's fascinating to watch 
how the comedian, as as much as the show's very funny and he's very funny and the cars are okay, I suppose. Um, the coffee's nice. Um, you know, They're very important. That's, it's interesting to see how people... <laughs> it's just, inter- you know, like I saw the one with him in, just yesterday when I was watching your two. I watched the one with Jerry Lewis and that's the only one that Seinfeld's really oh, in awe of, yeah. <laughs> of the guests, you know. Uh, but some of them, are, but what was interesting about you is it, it felt like you've been, you've done it twice, which is obviously a big compliment because not many people have done it twice. If you know, maybe one or two people have done it twice. Um, but it's very much two people just riffing off each other, and it do- it doesn't feel like you're uh, intimidated or like beholden to him because it's Jerry Seinfeld. Did you did you work with him on the way up, or how did you how did you uh, get to no, know him? The, uh... Hang on one second. I want to try. I, I apologize. I'm trying to get this phone turned off, Jess. It's okay. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> She's crawling underneath to unplug the telephone. That's the magic of show business is that nobody saw her do that. Thank you, Jess. Um, all right. Well, Jerry Seinfeld was a god amongst comedians even before his – hit TV sitcom. You know, he was like, in fact, I followed him as an auditioner years ago at the club where I started. He was one of, he was one of the three headliners and he had not even done his first national TV appearance yet. So anyway, uh, I met him at Catch a Rising Star, big comedy club in New York city. I was performing there and he was at a level where he could just come in and be next. You know, that's like a, a level you want to get to where you just walk in. You're not on the schedule. You just walk in and they go, you want to go on next? And and you say yes, or that's what he would say. Anyway, so I was on stage at Catch, and he came in while I was on stage, and he was a big name in comedy. And I walked off stage, and he was getting ready to come on, and he just gave me some very nice compliments about what he had just seen. And it, yeah, it makes you feel like a million bucks when somebody that you – idolize says good things about you. And so that was it. And then like a couple of weeks later, I went into catch a rising star and he was seated at the bar with some other big name and like the bar, you wouldn't even dare go over there when you were at my level. You know what I mean? And he called me over. He said, Hey, Brian. And I, my heart's pounding and I walk over and he said, uh, Hey, I was just asked to host, a comedy special for Showtime. And uh, so there's going to be like five or six comedians on it. And they asked if there was anybody that I would like on it. This is him talking. And he said, Mm -hmm. and I threw your name into that. Would you be interested in doing the special? You know, like, like, like I'm I'm trying to get on at one o'clock in the morning at these places, you know? And I was like, so I made a joke, you know, I was like, I wish you had a check with me. It isn't like I don't have stuff already booked, you know, like, <laughs> like a daring joke. Like, I hope he gets it. And then he laughed at that. And I was like, of course, I'd be honored to. So I was on that special that he hosted. And then ever since then, you know, he's been kind to me. You know, he's seen me and has supported me. And uh, it has meant a lot to me. That's good. Well, it's clear, you know, it's clear that he respects you uh, for just from watching those shows. Just 
not that he he obviously has people that he thinks are good, but but it's it's sort of fascinating to see the different the different reactions he has to different comedians. But but he's also sort of back June back been involved in the uh, Netflix stuff you've been doing, so the specials and the the stand up and sketch show, which are I, I really enjoyed as well. That you. Uh, that uh, there's a there's four. There, well, there, the great thing about Netflix is you know when it goes all over the world, so that uh, you know that people can find you on there, and and uh, and if they if they're not if they if they you know if they if they if people have not seen your stuff before, you can basically see lots of your things. I, lo- I love. I, the, I just wanted um, to, to to jump in there if you don't mind. The one reason why I yeah, think yeah. comedians and cars getting coffee work so well is because everybody knows Jerry Seinfeld is funny and that he can be funny and that he makes people laugh. But what makes that show work so well is that he's a great audience. He laughs like crazy when somebody's funny. Like he doesn't have the kind of ego where he has to be the top dog when funny stuff is going back and forth. If you say something funny, he'll laugh instead of feeling like he has to one up you. And that's part of why I think that show is so fun to watch is not only is he funny, you get to watch him laugh at other people, you know? Yeah. And I guess that's, I think that's why the ones with you really work. Cause I think you're both, you've both got the same work ethic and the same interest in the way comedy works. And so there's a big element where it's, he's coming in with something he's half right. thought of or something's <laughs> right. just occurred to him. And it really works when you just start, when people start ripping yeah. off an idea and building on it. And that's, the, and yeah, you can see that he loves that. But uh, I think that's why, that's why he's had you back. And that's why he loves having you on because you've got a very good chemistry in terms of uh, building, well, building on an idea. Um, hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Now, um, hey, look, I'll talk, because there's, there's not too much time to talk about everything. So I would, I had not heard of this show either. And uh, I've watched 
a lot of the first season as a result of this morning because I got really into it. But uh, Louder Milk, you're a you're a character, recurring character in uh, Louder Milk, which is a um, yeah, I think it. But even the uh, the creators sort of acknowledge it didn't really get uh, noticed by anyone. It might be a sort of shit's creek in the making, I think, and that it's a really good premise and a really good central character uh, of a guy who's an ex music journalist who's runs an Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous meeting. Um, but it's very sharp and very clever, I think, and, and really funny. And you're a, you're one of the guys the at the, the meeting who has, who has eight kids and doesn't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of tragic, but right, it's funny. Right, right, right. My character yeah. is Muggsy. Peter Farrelly is, yeah. he and Bobby Mort created the show. Peter Farrelly, who won, uh, what they got best picture for uh, the green book a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm just honored to be in this thing. Cause I've done stand up my whole life. That's kind of all I do. And then Peter Farrelly saw me perform. And then after the show, he said, Hey, he's working on this show called louder milk and wanted to know if I'd be interested in being in it. And maybe I'm, more honest than I should be, you know, I should have just said, yeah, I was like, well, I don't know if I can act, you know, like I'm, I'm already undercutting this opportunity. Um, I said, I, I appreciate it, but I, I don't know if I have any acting abilities or acting chops, you know? And he said, uh, he goes, well, I know you can act. And I'm like, what makes you think that? He goes, I just saw your show. I just saw your stand-up show. He goes, you do vignettes, you do little pieces. He goes, everything you're doing is you're acting out. He goes, I, so I know you know how to act. You just need somebody who can direct you. And uh, he said, I'd love to, you know, if you'd want to be in this show. So he just gave me this character, you know, like I didn't even audition for it. I just gave it to me. I mean, if I had to audition for it, I probably wouldn't be in the show. You know what I mean? Because I don't think I've ever gotten anything out of an audition. So he just Gave me this character, and uh, I've had a blast with it, man. The show is very dark and very twisted. It's very funny, but it's very earthy and gritty, and uh, and it's different than my stand-up. You know, my stand-up, you know, a lot of people describe it as clean. I hate that title, but uh, the show is far from clean. My character is far yeah. from clean. <laughs> so it's such a departure from what I do as a stand-up. But it has given me this opportunity to act, and I've loved it. And uh, we just found out that it's getting picked up by Amazon Prime starting Friday, like a couple nights from now. And uh, they're going to release the first two seasons. And then season three, which has been shot, which no one has seen yet, will be released 30 days after that. So uh, I'm proud to be in it. Fabulous. It's very, it's really good. It's uh, in the UK, uh, at least the first series. I think both the, and the second oh, season as well okay. are already on Amazon Prime. So people in the UK can uh, catch up with it straight away. But hopefully, series season three will come as well. And you've got a, you've got quite a big part in the. It's the the, the third season sort of revolves around your character to quite a large degree because it, uh, it sort of tends to Matt. I didn't know Matt. I know Matt Fraser from years ago. He's a he's a English uh, comedian. Uh, and uh, I was yeah, so glad to see him, and he's great as well. But but um, yeah, but um, yeah. So you, you've you've got you, you're trying to reconnect with your eight children through through season three. Is I'm trying to reconnect with all my kids all the time. But there's one character yeah. in particular, Cappy. That's she's my daughter, 
my daughter's names are named after coffees. I have a daughter latte and a daughter cappy, short for cappuccino. So there's this uh, long story arc where I'm trying to reconnect with Cappy in season three. And uh, it's funny, but it also gets really, really serious. And there's a lot of, when I was reading the scripts, I felt like calling Peter Fairley up and going, I don't know who you think I am, (laughs) but I I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish anything that you want out of this. You know, it's a very deep, like emotional stuff that I have to try to do as an actor. And um, I'd never done anything like that. And I just, I'm honored that he gave me the opportunity. And I I think, I, I hope people will like it. Yeah. I mean, I think comedians often do make good actors, but it's, I'm really surprised that that's your, from watching it, I'm surprised that's your first major thing. Cause you know, you're just straight in there. There's no, sometimes, Sometimes stand-ups can, you know, not do the group thing. And sometimes stand-ups are still, you know, they're on TV and they're almost still trying to find the camera or just the, uh, letting the real them glint outside. But I think you've really, Thank you. you really nail it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fact. It's, I've, if you haven't seen it, I've absolutely, I'm going to be watching it for the, from my convalescent bed <laughs> for the rest of the next couple of weeks. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask you some, I'm going to ask some emergency questions. Here's a new emergency question that I'm just working up. If you had to lose a one part of your body, if it had to be taken off, it has to be, um, you get the choice, but they say we're going to take one part of your body away. It has to be something functioning. You can't choose the appendix. If it's if there's more than two of them, they, they're they all going to get, you can't go, I'm going to have a finger taken off. That's all your fingers. You can't say you're going to have a tooth taken off. All your teeth. If there's two, you're allowed to lose one of them. I love the qualifiers Which, in the question. No appendix. Yeah, because you'll right. just go, I'll have a tooth out. All your teeth, all your fingers, all your toes, or one of your organs, which part of the body would you have removed for if you to save the rest of you, if that was the sore? Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, I love to listen, so I want my ears. Am I allowed to think this through, like like the game shows where they want you to? Definitely think it through. um, (laughs) <laughs> definitely think it through and give your working and reasoning. You can lose one ear and still be able to listen to things. No, I understand. You, know, the, you, you probably want me to lose yeah. both ears as part of this. Uh... No, you can lose one. So if there's oh, two of them, you can lose oh, one of them. If there's more than oh. two, you lose all of them. So you can lose one ear. I would see, I would see, if I would still choose, I would choose to lose a testicle. Uh, now I've lost one. It's not, if I stab them both, I think it's the, the least important part of the, uh, that's that's an easy. I, I, that's a gimme, I think, I, think but. I should have said that right off the bat to 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 to, <laughs> to make you feel very comfortable about what has happened. To Made you. me feel. In better. fact, that's probably a good answer. Yeah. I'll say I'll say one test. This is a good. I think it's I think it's the best. Okay, I think it's the best answer because everything a kidney you could lose one kidney. I think and that would be okay. But then it's going in. You know, they're yeah. digging in you with a testicle. You know, they just wow. lop it off. All right, that's my that's my emergency answer to your emergency question. Okay, that's good. That's a good answer. I'll ask you another emergency question. Have you ever seen a ghost, Brian Regan? No, no, I. Uh, I, I knew it would be nice. I. Uh, they say every theater has a ghost. Are you familiar with a ghost light? Yeah. So on stage at every major theater around the country, they have a light that they leave on. Um, all night long, and that is, I don't know, to placate the ghost of the theater they or whatever, but I, I've never seen one. I don't subscribe 
to the fact that there are ghosts out there. If I have seen them, I don't know about it. I apparently have looked right through them. Okay. I, it's basically, that's my question. It's just a polite way of asking, are you mentally ill? And you've passed <laughs> the test, you're not mentally ill. I have not seen a ghost. Well done. But, I, but, I, but I've, I've seen Bigfoot uh, you, and I've seen... Uh, yeah, that's one of my I've questions. Seen have you Bigfoot, seen Bigfoot? I've seen the questions. abominable snowman and I've seen the Loch Ness Monster, <laughs> but I've never seen a ghost. Wow. If only I'd asked the Bigfoot question, but I didn't, so we won't go any further into it. Um, and if you, this is another new, newer emergency question. If you could have uh, any, if all the world's musician, museums and art galleries got together and said, Brian, we want to give you one painting or one artifact or one thing, uh, you can keep it. What thing from all the world's museums and art galleries would you choose to own? Is there something would you would probably like? Probably want one of those uh, Monet lily pad kind of things. Oh. I, I I don't even know the title of a particular painting, but um, they're just very soothing, very soothing and calm, and it brings a sense of serenity that uh, is very enjoyable. I- That's a good answer. I also like the idea of the person giving that painting, going, "Yo, so you want? You don't know what it's called." <laughs> And you just you just want one of the and he's having to give it over to you. It's worth five. I got it under my arm as I'm walking out. <laughs> and no one's gonna ask any questions. And I'll go, they said I could have those. Get out of my way. <laughs> Very good. Um uh, um so what it, it was the decision? I mean, I know you say you don't like being described as the, the comedian doesn't swear and doesn't do blue stuff. Was that a decision you made or was it It just felt natural? I mean, it's a good thing. It's a good discipline to, I mean, I really couldn't work like that um, for me. <laughs> I don't think I could do a set that didn't have something rude in it. But was that a deliberate decision or because it's a good idea? Or is it just the way you I was always going? mostly clean anyway. Even when I started, I, just the kind of stuff I think about is not, it doesn't go in those directions. Um, it's not a value thing. You know, I, I'm not riding around on a white horse going, uh, this is the clean way and follow me. You know, it's like if I were on a white horse, I go, let's go see the filthiest comic in the world because I think he's great as well, you know. Um, but I just, when I first started, I five percent of my act was dirty. You know, I, I had four letter word jokes and a couple of sex jokes and that sort of thing. But they never felt natural to me. Like I felt like I was shoehorning them in. Uh, and so after a while, the special that just came out, I refer to my OCD. I wanted yeah. to be completely clean just because I wanted it to be 100 percent at something. And it, it had nothing to do with. I want to be Johnny Wholesome. I'm like, well, yeah. I, I never got 100% on any test in grade school or high school, but I can be 100% clean. I, I can accomplish this. <laughs> and so it was more of a quest. It was a personal quest to try to see how hard I could get people laughing without hitting certain buzzwords. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, it's it's – it's not like your comedy isn't. There's some darkness in. It. I mean, that serial. The the thing about the the, the executions is pretty dark. Uh, there's the thing you do in uh, the sketch show with uh, 
Uh, we call it Dragon's Den over here. I can't remember what we call it over there, but with the, the businessman trying to buy the inventions right. off the people and you imagine like the weight right, the waste right, disposal right, right. unit being being pitched <laughs> pitched to that and just people getting his blood everywhere going, We're not gonna buy it. Um so there's there's a there's a darkness to it. You don't have to be rude to, to challenge people, but um yeah, I I would just I I suppose I I love the sort of poetry of the gutter and the poetry the the interesting ways of finding uh to talk about disgusting things and it strikes me that your stuff the the i love the words and i love the choice of words and the choice of language in it and you really feel like somebody who loves language it just i i would feel personally and i think it does work for you that you're you're kind of corralling off a, a section of language which you could be imaginative with in the same way that you are with regular language right. but uh I, I get, yeah, I get the, I get it though, but I, I think it's, um, no, it's, it's really interesting to see, to see it work and not be, and not be like a kid's time comedian. You know, you're still well, that's, an adult. That, that's part of the challenge but, for uh, me is like, uh, that's why I don't use the word clean in any of my press materials. You know, I can't help if a writer is going to comment about it. Uh, but I feel it, it's, as much of a turn off as it is a turn on. Like I would like to think if there was somebody out there who saw an ad that said, Hey, clean, the clean comedian, Brian Regan is coming to town. They might go, I don't want to go see this candy ass guy. I, I have no interest in that. Whereas if they didn't see clean and came out to see me, I would like to think they would think I was funny. They go, Hey, this guy's pretty funny. You know what I mean? And, to me, clean is nothing to do with it. You know, it, it, you're either funny or you're not, you know. So I, I, I just like to challenge you. I agree. I don't think I would have noticed without it being mentioned by someone else, you know. So I don't, that, that's what's interesting because you're just into the show. And then when you know, you go, oh, that's interesting. There was no dick jokes in that, which is quite rare for a, for a male comedian. Um, and uh, you, you say at the beginning of the uh you talk about at the beginning of the the, the recent special how you've yeah. gone grey, and so and obviously this. for the uh, for the previous ones, yeah, the beard's nice. I was surprised by the beard, but that was obviously a decision that uh, you took to to presumably stop dyeing your hair unless you went grey over the last year, which is is possible. No, no. Uh, but um, <laughs> but I don't know. It's I, you're you're so playful and like you're in your six early sixties. And he doesn't. You don't come across as a man in his Thank early sixties on stage. And I like that about. But I like that about comedy. You still you're 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 nodding to it and you're talking about it. But and you you're nodding to the fact that you kind of want to be uh, interesting to young people, but also acknowledging you're old. But I, do you feel that in a way being a comedian it allows you to it allows that childish spirit and that youthful spirit to carry on? And it seems to me that. You know, on stage you have the bearing of a of a man sort of twenty years younger than you are. I would say twenty or thirty years younger because you know you've got this very playful yeah, thank uh, you. character. Um, you, but is that what appeals to? Is that does that appeal to you about comedy? Is that something? Are you are you deliberately playing with that, or is that just something that is is happening? I, I, I've I've wondered over the years if I would like age myself out of being interesting. You know, when I first started doing comedy, occasionally you'd see somebody who had been around for a while get on stage and sometimes you think they're, they're not as relevant as maybe they used to be. 
And I always wondered, would that happen to me? Would I get to a point where, you know, I'm not really talking about things that people are interested in anymore. And so, but I I decided not to worry about it. Like, I'm just going to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And, and, And if there's an audience for it, great. And if there's not, so be it. You know, like I've always tried to be careful not to try to figure out what people are looking for from me. I always feel my job is to just tell you what's interesting to me, what's funny to me. If you happen to agree, then I'm lucky. I, I get a career out of it. If if nobody agrees, if nobody out there agrees with me that what I think of is funny, then uh, then my career is over. But I've been fortunate in that I guess the kind of stuff I think about still people want to laugh at. Yeah, and I think also what it might be is that some comedians and certainly middle-aged comedians and middle-aged men as well become bitter and they become, you know, jealous of younger comedians and they be, or younger people and the, and that permeates through. And that's there's no I don't think there's any bit I, I feel like from what I've uh, heard you talk about and read about you you're very supportive of comedy and you like comedy and you like other comedians and Correct. it's not a competition for you against other comedians. But you also seem to not be one of these, you know, bitter middle-aged yeah, men. Life is good. I know. And, but that's my, you know, my, my fear is that I, you know, I'll, you wake up one morning and you're the guy, you know, suddenly on Twitter, you know, slagging off some some group of people in a way that the 20-year-old you would go, what the hell are you doing? Waving, waving this old racist, you know, homophobic or whatever curmudgeon and um you know that's this it seems to happen to people you think it would never happen to but you see is it just because you're enjoying the job so much and it's sort of a lucky position isn't it to be even when i first started you know i'd be out on the road and you know the hierarchy in the united states is opening act middle act headliner right so you'd have three comedians on a typical show out on the road and when I'm new to the road, sometimes I'm the opening act. Sometimes I'm the middle act, whatever. I'm, I'm doing my thing. And it was always a bizarre compliment when people would come up to me after a show and take me aside and go, you should have been the headliner. And I'm like, all you got to do is say you thought I was funny. You don't, you don't have to <laughs> rank me over somebody else. Like, I'm not trying to be funnier than that guy. I'm just trying to be as good as I can be. And so it's always weird to me when people try to rank comedians like, well, this guy's the funniest. This guy's the second funniest. This woman is the third funniest or whatever. You know, it's like, I don't understand why we're on a, (laughs) why we're on this graph. (laughs) Yeah. You know, people. Well, yeah, I don't know. I suppose. I mean, I think again, maybe it's a bit old-fashioned about comedy in that it it was that because it was a lot of men in the old days, and maybe it was this sort of, you know, who's the who's the alpha male out of these guys, and who's going to be the best? And yeah, it absolutely doesn't have to be. I mean, I you know, I'm a big fan of. I started out as a comedy fan, and you know, and feel very lucky to be allowed to work as a comedian. Um, and uh, so I still, I still, you know, I still love. Sure. Watching other people's stuff. Uh but but there are there are there are people who can't who don't do that and people who won't watch other people's stuff or can't bear other comedians. Well, just to, to tell the other side <laughs> of the story, fair. like I, I felt like the story I told was very self serving where I, I have the mystery fan saying I should be the headliner. That there were many times when I was the headliner 
where I heard people whispering to the other acts that they should have been the headliner. I just want to make sure that both sides of this equation are out okay. there. <laughs> and it's weird either way. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, <laughs> I found this quite interesting. You obviously left college um, to become a comedian. Correct. You didn't graduate back in the, the early 80s, but you did graduate in 1997. So did you go and have to finish off some work in order to graduate? Or is, is that, have I got that right? As I read somewhere you graduated in No, that is all correct. I, I, I dropped out of college. Yeah. I, I thought I was 13 credit hours shy. And then I went to my 15-year college reunion, even though I hadn't graduated. So I didn't know, are they going to allow me into this place? And one of the professors who knew me from when I should have graduated said, you're so close. Why don't you get your degree? And I said, well, I can't come back to college. I'm a comedian. I work around the country. He goes, no, we'll figure something out. You know, you can just probably write some papers and finish up your final 10 credit hours. I thought it was 13 credit hours. <laughs> That's how bad I was at school. I couldn't even add up correctly how many credit hours I was short. So I said, all right, if I can do that, that'd be great. So I went to the college. I met with professors. We came up with a plan for me to finish my final 10 credit hours by writing papers and all this sort of thing. And um, I got all A's. And I had never, I'd never seen an A when I was in college. I'm a grown man and I get my report card. I got, I got all A's. So they let me graduate. And uh, I actually right. went to the college to do the walk with the robes. I flew my mom and dad up. Brilliant. And, you know, I'm twice as old as everybody that's actually graduating when they're supposed to be graduating. And it was quite a, it was a good feeling for me, just a sense of closure, you know, to go, hey. What, what did you study? What were you studying? Well, when I first college? went to college, it was economics. I thought I was going to be an accountant. I switched majors. Uh, right. I think my sophomore year to communication theater arts. So it was acting and giving speeches. I mean, that was the world that got me into stand-up comedy. And then the year after sure. that, the year after uh, I graduated, I think it was a year after, maybe yeah. two years after, my college, as a courtesy, gave me an honorary doctorate. They made me a doctor. And it made me mad going, well, why did you make me do the 10 credit hours? <laughs> I'm going to leapfrog over all this other nonsense. Why did you make me learn stuff? <laughs> I haven't graduated. I passed all my exams. Uh, so I'm a graduand is what I'm called because I never went to pick up the degree and I didn't do the ceremony and all that. I didn't do all that stuff. Um, I kind of, I didn't have any, I kind of got a decent degree in the end, but I didn't do any work. And so I think partly I, it's, this sounds like a humble brag, <laughs> but I finally felt I sort of didn't respect the degree because I thought, how the hell did I pass, let alone get a half-decent degree? So there was a part of me that was reluctant to go back. I think my mum and dad would have um, would have liked it. You know, they're still alive. I could still you do I could go back. You should do the walk. Maybe they would let you yeah, slip in, back. you know, to man. whatever the next graduation ceremony is and do the walk with the robes. It yeah. feels good. Get your picture taken. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it for my mom and dad. I was planning on waiting till like my eldest child had graduated from the same university, but my eldest child is six at the moment. I'm not really convinced I'm gonna. <laughs> and you, you follow, you follow him. You know, he, he gets his, and then you get yours. That'd be great. 
<laughs> yeah, it'd be nice, but I don't, don't think there's time to do that. Um, hey, look, we've been we've 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 nearly done an hour, so thank you very much for uh, for your time. I'll just uh, have a look and see this. I mean, there was so much I was going to talk. I liked your bit about Michael Collins, the third guy in thank the you. Apollo thank Eleven you. mission. Um, but I also thought when I was watching it, you know, there's a film called Michael Collins. It must have been really annoying for Michael Collins when he went to the cinema to see that and found out it wasn't about him. It's about the <laughs> Irish Revolutionary. <laughs> so he doesn't. He doesn't even get the tip of the hat then. There'd be a tip of the hat. It would be a good film, Michael Collins, about the guy. That should be a film, Michael Collins waiting for buzz and neil to come back from the moon i mean you've done it as a sketch but i think you could stretch that out into a yeah into a motion picture and call it mike call it michael <laughs> collins too to make his people make sure, make sure we don't think i mean you have michael to have collins. a certain kind of um it's, i don't know sense of self that had to be so for people who don't know the way it worked three astronauts went to the moon and then two get in the lunar module and go down to the moon while, while one circles and waits for them to make their name in history. And then they come back and reconnect to the guy who's been circling the whole time. And that was Mike Collins. Um, and, you know, you just wonder, was that cool for him? You know, I mean, I don't think it's terrible for him. It's ter- exactly because most people would. It's, I only know it because I'm a nerd. And I, you know, and I know because he's he's got the same right. name as the other guy, and I like so I like facts like that. But the idea that you could be, you know, the top, you know, nearly the third man on the moon, but certainly the man who got the two men to the moon, and yeah, yeah, that's that's nah, you didn't get all the way. You right. went three quarters. Right, 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 right. And yeah, just flew around <laughs> and it's, You know, he's he's. I don't know if he's still alive. I know Neil Buzz is still alive, isn't he? I think Michael Collins mm. has died as well. I think I'm not sure. Um. Have you been vaccinated yet against COVID nineteen? Uh, I don't know if you've COVID, heard of COVID, COVID. Yeah. Um, I actually got it. Not not the vaccine. I got the the, the COVID. Yeah, uh, I, I I caught it in right. December and uh, you know had a little bit of a rough go of it. It's not fun, and no, I have not no. been vaccinated. I'm still within that window where you probably can't get it. You know, I, I think they say you're four or five months, you're safe. Um, but I would like to get the vaccination. I'm happy that – is that what that sticker is? I yeah, that's, a, that's the sticker I got for, for – they like give you a sticker voted. at the end like you're – I wanted a lollipop, but they gave me a sticker. Yeah. So I have not been um, vaccinated, no. And in, are you still doing gigs, yes. live gigs in America? Because I, I know it's not yeah. – yeah, you are. But they're they're not yeah. as you know plentiful as they used to be. You know, uh, theaters aren't as open as they used to be because everybody's compact together with the seats. Comedy clubs are open, not all of them, but a lot of them are. But with uh, half capacity, maybe even less than that. You know, you go in, the tables are all fall uh, far apart, and uh, but I needed to do that to prep for the special which we shot in October. So I had to do, I had to perform for a few months prior to that. So yeah, I'm out there and I'm still out there and I, I love it. Yeah. It's crazy. I can't believe, you know, cause we, I haven't done, I've done a couple of gigs in theaters with hardly anyone or with half an, uh, half an audience. Um, but yeah, it feels like, so, I mean, it's a year since I did one of these live uh, and uh, with Michael Palin from Monty yeah. Python. That was a good one. 
but it's unbelievable. It's, you know, I'm so looking forward to getting back out there. But it's sort of weird the way different countries are treating it so differently. And what what is it like? I know you live in Las Vegas. I find it very hard to imagine living in Las Vegas, but is that just because I have the tourist image of the middle bit and you live somewhere nice that isn't got, got loads you know of lights? funny about like Las Vegas? Around. There's one street that all the casinos are on. And for anybody yeah. who's never been to Las Vegas, that's all they know about Las Vegas is that one street. And there's a lot of stuff to the east of it and there's a lot of stuff to the west of it. But nobody knows anything about that, and that's where I live. I live out there, right. and uh, it's a it's a great city. You know, we just uh, had a got a new hockey team three years ago, the Golden Knights. They went to the Stanley Cup in their very first season. I'm a season ticket holder. We just had the uh, the Raiders move to Las Vegas, so now we have two professional sports teams. So the city itself is kind of really growing and blossoming. And uh, I've lived here for 18 years, and I love it. Cool. And do you do comedy in Las Vegas? Because I heard you don't really you don't, you don't play. Do you play the casinos and stuff, or are you, are you keeping Las Vegas to? Yeah, to my my kids are here. They're getting older. Uh, my son just turned twenty two. In fact, my daughter is uh, seventeen, and I never wanted to really perform where I lived because I just wanted to separate those two worlds. When I'm here, I just want to be a daddy, and uh, you know, most people want a short commute. Most people want to live across the street from where they work. I want to get on an airplane and fly 2,000 miles away from my house to do my job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, having, having nearly just only worked in the UK, I have done a few gigs around the world, but I can't imagine that sort of level of, you know, it's a pain in the ass driving <laughs> to Middlesbrough from here, but the idea of flying <laughs> to do a gig is... Uh, is crazy but um hey look uh, i'm gonna let you go uh you've been a uh, fantastic guest it's real a real honor to meet you and i know uh i know that uh in america you're very much seen as the comedian's comedian and rightly so uh if people haven't seen brian's work uh there's lots of it on netflix uh the sketch show's great the specials are great uh and uh, amazon prime for louder milk which is really phenomenal stuff as well um Anything else you want to? Is there anything else coming up that you want to plug, or is that that's that's, that's kind of it? I'm I'm really it. happy about the louder milk yeah. thing. Uh, it was not being shown in the United States yeah. for like a year and a half. The network that it had been on went away, and so it was like the show that was just in limbo. And uh, I, we shot the third season like a year and a half ago, and I'm like, am I going to do a Ten episodes that no one will ever see. Like it was so bizarre. We just got the news like three days ago that it's going to be airing here in the United States. So I'm I'm really happy about that, and I love being out there doing the stand up, and that's kind of it. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for for doing the show, and uh, I hope to see you next time at the Les Square Theatre. If we get a chance, right. we'll put you in front of an audience with me as well. If It'd be lovely to see you again. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, thank, you. Thank, you, Richard. thank you. See you next week. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Brian Regan. Thank you to Pest for providing this musical entertainment as I speak right now. Stop, shut up, it's too loud. 
Uh, I would also like to say that I'm indebted to my producer, director and friend, Chris Evans. Not that one or that one or the, not the editor of the Daily Telegraph or the politician ones. The one from Wales. It's always him. Why do you always keep asking the same questions, questions, questions? Thank you to everyone at ACAST for hosting us. Thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide for their fantastic work. And thank you to all the subscribers on Twitch. If you're with Amazon Prime, you can give us free money on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Herring. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStrike.com production. Head to GoFasterStrike.com. You can buy all my downloads, my books, and you can become a monthly badger, get all kinds of benefits. GoFasterStrike.com slash badges. Just put up a very funny video of uh, Jeremy Paxson failing to understand technology. It's worth it just for that. All right. See you around. Goodbye. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the, on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye.